don't we go ahead and start with a prayer? We're going to start with a Hail Mary. Hopefully, you'll see by the end of the talk why we do that. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. So, hope everybody has had a good day so far. Um, blessed to be able to give this evening keynote address, continuing the theme of searching for peace. And we're going to focus tonight on the, the words of Jesus in the Last Supper discourse, John chapter 14, the peace I give you. Jesus gives us a very unique type of peace. I want to explore a little bit about what that is today. We're not talking about normal peace, like the peace of going to Destin and sitting in your chair and drinking your little cocktail and listening to the waves come in. Very peaceful, very restful. That's good. And we can recognize it as coming from God as a part of the blessing that he gives us. But I'm talking about something different. It's a peace that is given to us by Christ. In fact, we could probably say that it is infused. Now, can we experience this in prayer? Absolutely. We're really deep in prayer, a moment of consolation, a moment of contemplation. But what I really want to focus on is that peace that Christ gives us, the infused peace that we know doesn't come from us. We know doesn't come from necessarily a great release of dopamine in our brains, but comes from Christ and the gift of the Spirit because it comes when normally we wouldn't be at peace. In a situation, either interiorly or exteriorly, where under all normal circumstances we would be panicked, we would be worried, we'd be overthinking, we'd be freaking out. And there are a lot of these different types of situations, but what I want to do today is look at a handful. A handful of these situations, and, and again, I'm going to give some examples from my own life. I'm not necessarily one to tell a lot of personal stories, but I think I'm going to do it. I'll tell you all a few stories from my time as a priest when I have encountered difficult situations and how I, I experienced the Lord's peace. And maybe in some of these situations that you've experienced, you may have at times experienced that deep interior peace that you know you didn't generate, you didn't make come, that you know has to come from God because normally you would be panicked. And then I want to wrap it up by talking a little bit about how, how can we achieve this? How can we open ourselves in situations such as this to experience that peace. So the first one I want to talk about is something that I guess a lot of us worry about and fret about, our future, but specifically our choice of vocation. Our vocation maybe in the big V, when it comes, am I going to be married or I'm going to be a priest or religious, or maybe even the choice of a career. For me, it's really that choice of the vocation to become a priest. Now, I grew up in a very Catholic family, and from a young age, 
I knew priest, I served mass, I thought about being a priest, went to high school, got to college, was not too enthused about that idea, but I had a pretty big conversion in September of 1993, a conversion that actually stuck, I started going to mass on a daily basis, and the idea of priesthood came back to my mind, and so I started praying with it, but I still had in my mind good-looking girls particularly one of them in, in particular, who I thought God gave me all these clear signs that I was supposed to be the one who was supposed to marry her. And so we dated for a few months. We had our ups and downs, but I always thought, I, I don't know, maybe I, I should be a priest, or maybe God gave me the sign to be with her. I've told the story before of how, for me, one of the decisive moments in that relationship was when she told me, hey, Bryce, I think you prefer to go pray instead of being with me. And I thought to myself, yeah. <laughs> but still, I sort of struggled with it interiorly. And so we dated, and we were dating about four months, and we had gone over for New Year's Day to visit our parents in Houston, actually, in Katy, Texas. While we were there, as we were apt to do, we got in a fight. It was a pretty heated argument. And I, and I was mad at her. Boy, I was mad at her. She was mad at me. She had every reason to be mad at me. I won't give you the details, but she was very upset with me. And I remember driving back to Lafayette and the HOV lane, because we had two people in the car. It was awesome. We're driving back. It was January the 3rd, and it was a perfectly blue sky. Perfectly blue sky. And I had struggled with this. Should I be with her? Or should I not be with her? And prayed about it, going to the chapel. And as we were driving back, this tremendous peace came upon me. And I said, I'm going to be a priest. And it never went away. And I remember, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break up with her. It's not going to be easy. But I had a great peace about that. It stayed with me. I got back home. First thing I did, called the vocation director and said, I'm ready to do it. And began the process. Now, granted, I did to break up with her. Didn't go over too well, but I'm here today. <laughs> but I remember so much so that I, I, the beautiful sky, it was probably about 40 degrees out. And we were driving. There's no clouds. And this great peace, I am going to be a priest in the seminary. I did it, and I never really looked back. I know that's not a peace that was given to me, but what happened was, what's important about it, we're not going to get any more, I didn't get the peace before I decided. I had to say, I am going to do this. And when I said that, the peace came. So I think a lot of the times, and many of you have heard me say this, you sit at the crossroads in a vocation, and you say, Jesus, tell me exactly what to do. And you wait there, and you wait there, and he doesn't tell you what to do, because he generally doesn't. You've got to set out on a path. It's scary, because you don't know where it's going to lead. But it's when you set out on the path that you feel the Spirit. It's when you jump out of the, the, the plane is when you feel the parachute. That's when the peace comes. So that's the first one. When it comes to that vocation choice, stepping out, I am going to do this, and quite often a tremendous peace will come. The second is another story. This is with my first year of a priest. I come back from Rome. I was in Ville Platte, 
the parochial vicar. And I remember it was a Tuesday. Remember the weather too? It was beautiful. 2001, September afternoon, the 11th of September. Actually, it was morning. And I was driving to go to physical therapy, and I got a phone call from a friend of mine freaking out. A plane had crashed into one of the World Trade Center towers. And so, like everyone else, the whole entire day, we were glued in front of the television as everything unfolded and the panic and everything. So I was in Ville Platte during this time of crisis, this time of panic in the nation. But I was the only priest there. The other pastor was gone, and my pastor was in space, or I don't know. He was gone, too. He was not there. And the phone kept ringing. Father, what are we going to do? Father, people coming to me. And I'm like 28 years old. I don't know what I'm going to do. The worst terrorist attack that the world's ever seen. And so I prayed about it, and I had to make a decision. I said, we are going to do a holy hour tonight in the church. And I've got to offer some words of encouragement, of consolation. Literally no idea what to say. And so we got the word out on the radio. I guided everyone to do that. And I remember walking into that church on that September afternoon for a 7 p.m. holy hour, and it was standing room only. So quiet. Because people were still panicked. And I exposed the Blessed Sacrament. And as I prayed, because I had to give some words to the people, I remember a tremendous peace coming upon me. In this time of crisis, when I had to give some direction, some guidance, that I knew it was going to be okay. And I gave words and explained why it's okay to be angry, why we need to trust in the Lord, why we need to work for peace, and all the details. But I knew that the Lord was with me. It was a peace that I didn't come up with. At that moment, it was the most scary moment of my priesthood. What am I going to say to all these people? I'm a new priest. I'm right behind the ears. I don't know what's going on in the most significant crisis our nation had seen since Pearl Harbor. But it was the peace of Christ that came because, I believe, I entered that in prayer. Third one, it's a little different. It's a story I really don't tell often. It comes the next, the next year, 2002. I, many of you don't know this, I was one of the first five Catholic bloggers. I know people don't get into blogs anymore. I was the the second priest. I was one of the first five. I, on numerous occasions, every year would win these awards for Beth Catholic Catholic blog. It was called a Sibley Saintly Salmagundi. Salmagundi is like a, a mixture of things. And my website was basically me putting funny articles and sometimes making commentary. Without getting into the details, there was some stuff that happened in 2002 at a seminary, and the rector of that seminary came out and challenged. Anyone said, anyone who knows this seminary knows that what is being said about us is untrue. And I remember reading that and said, this guy is so full of crap. Everyone knows that it's true. And so I, maybe being younger, maybe being a little impetuous, put something on the internet on on my little page. And this is in 2002. And I didn't have a lot of viewers. I put it up there. This is not true. This guy is full of it. Everyone knows that what is said about them is true. So I went about my day, doing stuff, hanging out. 
And I get back on, and all of a sudden, I see like 500 comments. What went on? It wasn't that popular. Well, come to find out, a very popular Catholic website at the time put my thing at the top of their page. And people started freaking out. Well, I said, I'm taking this off. And it was on for maybe two or three hours. So I said, all right, it blew over, everything is good. A week later, I get a phone call from the bishop's secretary. Now, the bishop usually calls the priest for one of two reasons. You're moving or you're in trouble. He doesn't call you generally to say, hey, what's going on? Let's go out for cocktails. No. So I figured I knew what it was about. So I went into the office. It was him, another priest there, and they were angry. Because what had happened was, is the rector of that seminary had written to him complaining about me and all the horrible lies I had said, and he demanded an apology. And I said, look, I may apologize for the tone in which I said it, or my potential imprudence, but I'm not apologizing for what I said, because it's true. And so he said, all right, that's cool. Just write a letter, which I did. He goes, but Bryce, I'm going to have to punish you. And I said, Bishop, you don't have to punish me. <laughs> ah. So he came up with this, this punishment that I was going to be silenced for six months. I could preach in the parish, but I couldn't give any talks or tree talks or anything. I said, Bishop, you're going to turn me into a martyr. Well, if that's the case. So I remember, so, so I, here's a brand new priest. I'm going to call in the bishop's office, reprimanded for something that I really maybe was important about, but didn't really do wrong, or at least enough, I thought, and I still think, to warrant being silenced for six months. And I walked out of there, and I was completely at peace. In fact, I walked in there completely at peace, too. That's how I could tell the bishop what I thought. And all I could think is, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. Now, granted, I'm not saying that I'm a martyr, even though I did become a martyr. Ooh, they were mad at the bishop. But anyhow, I had to put on the website that I'm silenced for six months, and people lost their minds. Bishop silence for good priest. The point is, is at this time of being persecuted, this time when being scrutinized and under the gun, rightly or wrongly, I, I remember I, just, I was like floating out of this office. It was just so much peace, and that peace never left. I never really got angry at him. He's the bishop. He does what he wants to do. But it's that peace under time of persecution. Persecution particularly for what I believed was right. Jump ahead for a few years, and another time, where I think it's something, if you haven't experienced it yet, you will experience it one day. This is back in 2012. My closest friend was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And so I journeyed with her and her family for two years until 2014 when she died. Her name was Suzanne. And Susie was a saint, as most people who knew her, and offered up her suffering so well, but people would, why suffer? She was the best person ever. And so it was the first time I really had to deal with not suffering in my own life, but someone else who I truly loved and cared for. It seemed unfair. It seemed unjust. Suffer a horrible death. A horrible death. And I remember, though, wrestling with it, being able to be with her to say my last goodbyes. It was a little intimate moment, a very touching moment, one I'll never forget that had a great impact on me. 
Because that was that moment when he said goodbye and this great peace came upon me. That it's going to be okay. Particularly because, unlike most people, when your best friend dies, you don't have to do their funeral mass. When you had to do it a few days later, I had to do the funeral mass in front of 800 people, 15 priests, five deacons, and seven sisters, and all the rest like people. I cried from beginning to end. It was horrible, but I never lost my peace. And I prayed through it because I knew that it was going to be okay, that I got to bury my closest friend, the person I love most in the world, who was arguably a saint all throughout her life and even in her death. It's that peace that came, because I've seen a lot of people as a priest go through loved ones dying and terrible suffering, and they lose their minds, and sometimes they lose their faith. But I knew that it was the peace that came from Christ during this tremendous time of crisis. It shattered the family in a lot of ways. But it's possible. It's possible. And the fifth and final example is one we're all familiar with because we've been living with it for the the past six or seven months. And most of y'all remember, back in March, particularly those here are freshmen, you realize, oh, my senior year is going down the toilet. The world is not going to be normal. I remember we were panicking at first because we thought that, like, coronavirus was the Ebola virus. We'd be bleeding out of our eyes or something. Granted, we know it's bad. And we've been living through this coronavirus. And I've seen people freak out, panic, the anxiety. I talked about it earlier on. People whose faith was so strong before, destroyed, ruined. And they allowed all of this chaos to enter their mind and their heart. But it was amazing. Through this whole entire time, as much as I've had to listen to people troubles. I've had to put all these rules and regulations in the churches and guide the staff and preach about it. I've really never lost my peace. I really never have. I don't know what the future is going to hold. I didn't know back then. But I knew that it was going to be okay. That the world wasn't coming to an end. I had to realize that I couldn't control any of this. The coronavirus and what uh, the world reacted and whether or not the lockdowns are good or bad or whether or not they should be doing this stuff, completely out of my control. All I could do is impact myself and the people around me. And so as a result, even today, I really haven't lost my peace. I haven't gotten too mad at the government. I haven't gotten too mad at anybody. I'm trying to be able to encourage people to maintain their peace. Has it worked all the time? No, it hasn't. A lot of paranoia set in, a lot of other stuff. But in general, during this time, I've been very blessed to maintain the peace and hopefully share it with others. So those are five examples, some funnier than others, some more pathetic than others, but really concrete examples in my own life, maybe for an instance, maybe for six months, maybe for a period of time, where It didn't make sense for me to have peace. And I knew it was a peace that came from the Lord. So how did I do it? Well, of course, I didn't do it on my own way. I don't have those kind of resources in me. I believe, 
as I'm sure is not a surprise, that for myself and anyone else who experiences this peace that comes from Jesus, that he promises us, it is a grace to trust Jesus and that he is in control. That's what Joe Bass talked about yesterday, wasn't it? Even when Jesus is sleeping, or it appears that he's asleep, the Lord still got it under control. And we've got to believe that even when the storm's around us, even when our friends are dying, even when we're going through a pandemic, even when we post something stupid on the Internet. The world seems to fall down around us that Jesus is still in control even though he looks like he doesn't care. But here's the issue. We've got to trust Jesus. But you really can't trust someone you don't know. So let's say that some random person who had no idea came up and would you ever say, Here, here's, a, here's $100,000 of mine. I want you to hold it for me until I come back in two weeks. You don't know who this dude is. But would you do it for your best friend? The person you trust with your life? You probably would. The reason that so many of us panic and worry and freak out isn't that we don't believe that Jesus is in control or trust that Jesus is in control. The problem is, is we don't know Jesus. We know about Jesus, but we don't know him. And if you don't know him, you A, don't know the Father, because Christ reveals the Father to us. He came to teach us about the Father. And if you don't know the Father, you don't know who you are as adopted sons and daughters. So if we only know about Jesus, it causes a lot of problems. A lot of problems. A lot of stress, a lot of worry, and not experiencing peace. So how then do we come to know Jesus and therefore hopefully know the Father and then know who we are? To be able to trust Jesus, to trust the Father, to trust the Spirit, and to know that we are ultimately trustworthy. Well, that's going to be pretty easy. I think the answer is prayer. And so, you've heard me say this before. We need to pray to know Jesus. That's like me saying, go do some calculus. Okay, well, I kind of know how to add, and I know multiplication, and I know what a formula is. But I know a little math, but you've got to show me how to do it. Most people do not know how to pray. Or, most people do not know what prayer is. They don't understand it. Well, praying is, is saying some prayers before we go to bed. No, that's saying prayers. Now, that's nothing wrong with that. Praying is asking for things. Well, yeah, it is, but that's not really what the heart of prayer is. That's not what the essence of prayer is. Now, if you, any of you were here at Connect, the talk that I gave on prayer, I said one of the fundamental problems that I see with people, young and old, when it comes to prayer, is that they see prayer as duty. I have to pray. I'm a good Catholic. It's work. I've got to get it in. I'm like a workout. I've got to get it in. But, oh, I don't have time to pray. I'm so busy. Well, that's because you're viewing prayer in the wrong way. Prayers are not about achieving anything. It's not about making the grade. It's not about 
performing well. It's not about checking it off on the list. Prayer is about learning to rest in the heart of Christ. Prayer should be seen as leisure. It's difficult sometimes, yeah, but it's an encounter with the person of Christ. You're not there to impress him. You're not there to, to do a bunch of stuff. You're not there to pray and say, all oh, my hillberry perfectly and be totally concentrated because I'm not totally concentrated. My prayer is garbage. No. The best you can do is go there and just allow the Lord to love you and delight in you. That's what prayer ultimately is at its essence. Is it always easy? No, it's not. But what happens is another thing that I kind of want to focus on today. The, the wrong attitude, of course, is seeing prayer as work, something we have to do. But as I've come to understand through working with people, my own life and this reading that I've done, is that so often for people, their prayer is really not about encountering Jesus, coming to know the love of the Father. It's about themselves. Prayer is very, very self-centered. I want this. I want God to give this to me. I'm going to perform well. Look how holy I am. You may not say that intentionally, but it's in your mind. Or even worse, I'm going to pray in order that I can control things. I'm going to pray for this, and God's going to do what I want. Like he's, a, he's a little genie. Or, or we have some sort of a transactional relationship with him. That prayer becomes self-centered, and our ultimate desire to control our lives to understand the mystery, to have some great certainty. That's all an attempt to grasp, to manipulate. How do I know that? Because I see it all the time. When we don't get what we ask for, we get mad. We pout, we give up. Again, I don't think anybody who's doing this, and I do it at times too, is like, I'm going to go to prayer and be a jerk. No. We don't even know we're doing it. And it's a very, very important examination of conscience. Is my prayer focused on God, or am I really praying for myself? Am I really there grasping and trying to control? Is my prayer more about me, or is my prayer more about God? Because most of us will find, sometimes, or maybe most of the time, that our prayer ends up being about ourselves. So how do we overcome that? How do we overcome that? Well, what I want to do is share a couple of thoughts or a couple of quotes, and I'm coming to the end here, don't worry, about how we can do this, not only understanding what prayer is, that it's essence, resting in the Lord, learning to trust in Jesus, and we can learn it from what the perfect prayer is. What, what is the perfect prayer? What is the perfect prayer? Who knows? What? Our Father is, is pretty perfect, but there's a more perfect prayer. It's the best prayer, the Mass. Because the prayer is the prayer of Christ. It's the representation of Christ's sacrifice on Calvary, the ultimate worship of the Father. And so if we really want to learn what prayer is, we kind of got to look to the Mass. We kind of got to look to the Eucharist. So I want to share a quote with you from someone who I've quoted before. 
She's a religious sister. She passed about 10 or 15 years ago. Carmelite from England named Sister Ruth Burroughs has written a number of books that I really like. But listen to this quote. I'm not going to bore you with a bunch of long quotes, but this is an important one. The Mass is the supreme expression of prayer because it holds, for me, at this moment, the mystery of Jesus himself and his surrender to the Father and in the Father's response to that surrender. And here's the key. Here we see that it is God who does everything. I can only be there in the Mass saying my fiat and surrendering with Jesus. This is the pattern of all true prayer. Once we have grasped this, prayer is simple indeed. So simple that it can easily scandalize because it isn't sublime or exalted enough. It is simple, but it isn't easy. Just because it's sacrifice and surrender. And these are never easy. It is a life lived out for God alone. That's what prayer is. I can only be there saying my fiat and surrendering with Jesus. Because really, the Mass doesn't depend on you. The Mass really doesn't even depend on me. It depends on Jesus working through me. The ultimate prayer, the ultimate attitude or essence of prayer is learning to say, I can't control anything. I don't know what the future holds. I've got to allow Jesus to die on the cross, and there's nothing I can do to stop it. I don't really fully understand it. I can just be here. Now, it doesn't mean you're there napping. No. You're there because of that word fiat, like Mary. And so, yes, it's the Mass and the Eucharist that teaches us to pray, but it's really going to be the example of Mary. Mary, who talk about suffered more than any of us, had the, the sword pierced her heart there at the foot of the cross, watching her son die, this terrible suffering, and still having peace. Peace in the darkness. It wasn't easy because she was able to say, be it done unto me according to thy will. She didn't grasp and try to pull Jesus off the cross. She didn't say, God, this isn't fair. She didn't try to understand it, figure it out. She just opened her hands and said, be it done unto me according to thy will. That's the fundamental attitude. Lord, you work on me. You act upon me. And so it's that Marian attitude of receiving whatever comes, good or bad. The attitude of surrendering. Letting go of control. Letting go of the desire to understand. Being in this state, as one theologian calls, of not being able or no longer being able. That's what happens at Mass. This is what happens at the cross. And this is what Mary gives as the example as perfect prayer. Of learning to surrender and allow the Lord to act on us. Because when we do then we achieve peace in those difficult situations. But in prayer, if we go there and say, Lord, I got nothing to bring. I'm here to receive your love, to receive your mercy. I'm probably not going to experience it 
feel anything because the experience of God is not God. Often when you experience God, if you pay attention to the mystics, it sucks. The ultimate expression of God's love is the cross. That sucks. It's not fun. But again, we go to prayer warning that experience because we want to be satisfied. I want to feel good in prayer. I want to feel like I did something. No, but when you're there, like Mary, he will fill you with grace. He will work on your mind and your heart in ways that you don't know that most often will come to fruition outside of prayer. So prayer is not about a method. It's not about achieving perfection like, like a gymnast does. Oh, I nailed that prayer. No. In fact, sometimes when you think your prayer is the worst, it might actually be the best. What the Lord wants is you to show up and desire to be there. Not because you have to, but you say, Lord, I'm here. I'm here with nothing, but I'm here to be with you because I know you want me to be there. And even when things get bad, to know in the darkness that he's still there. Now, if you can build up that habit, and fortunately, that's the thing. For me, by the time that first thing happened, when I decided to go to the seminary, I had built up a habit of prayer. Was I holy? No. I'm holy now? No, I'm not. You can ask Father Stephen. He'll tell you. But I want to do the right thing. And I believe the Lord sees my goodwill, and I believe he sees your goodwill too. I believe he sees your goodwill too. And so I'm not saying, oh, I hope you all have some terrible suffering in the next week, and you can experience God's peace that Jesus gives to you that transcends all things. I'm not saying that. One day you will. Oh, one day you will. And when you experience that peace, you'll know it. Some of you may have experienced it already. What I want to say, I encourage you, is when you go to that holy hour, you could say it in your mind. Say, Lord, I'm here for you. I got nothing to bring. I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't want to try to control anything. All these worries I have and everything, I'm giving it to you. Lord, even though I may not feel anything, you fill me up. Asking the Lord to fill you up with his grace what he wants to give, when he wants to give, and how he wants to give is not selfish. Because there's nothing you can bring to prayer. All you can do is receive. All you can do is receive. But that's the fundamental attitude of that Marian attitude, be it done unto me, and learning to let go of our expectations, let go of our desire to control, let go of our desire to understand, and that's when the change will start. That's when the change will start. So that's my encouragement. During that holy hour today, we're going to be hearing confessions in the back. And then we'll have a little time for adoring the Lord. And then we'll wrap it up for the night.